Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you? What the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck, Nicks? What's happening? How's it going? Where are you at? Where are you at? Where are you at in your heart and mind? Or how about just where are you at physically? Where's your mind at? You know, I got to be honest with you. Welcome. My name's Mark. Uh, this is my podcast, WTF. I've been doing it a while. We're hanging in there. We're doing all right. Had a lovely chat with Maria Bamford on Monday. Uh, always exciting and uh, fragile, vulnerable, engaged, funny. Brings the best out in me, I think. So today on the show, I talked to Jeff Charlotte. Now, I've talked to this guy a few times back in the day. We used to talk to him a lot on Air America when we were covering the influence of the religious right. He's been covering religion for most of his career. He was the co-creator of two religion publications, Killing the Buddha and The Revealer. He's also written for Rolling Stone, Harper's, Vanity Fair, The New York Times Magazine, and much more. He's, uh, he's put out books about evangelical fundamentalism in the U.S. government. That was called The Family and another book called Sea Street. Uh, and they are, I would say, very important records to help understand what's happening in America now. The new book, and don't run away from this episode. Just stay put, okay? Because I ask him towards the end, look, this information, it is what it is. And it's pretty uh, well-researched through experiential encounters. This is almost like a travelogue. It's almost like a memoir through this country that he just kind of follows his instincts to visit uh, rallies and uh, mega churches and smaller churches. Uh, what do you call it? Meta churches? I don't know. But the recent, this book is called The Undertow, Scenes from a Slow Civil War. Don't run away. Because not unlike the book I'm reading now, which is the new Naomi Klein book, which I have to, I have to, uh, man, yeah, did a lot of underlining. Got to have a full brain of that for when I talk to her. But this is, this lays out where we're at on a personal level, on a uh, political level, on a propaganda level, on a religious level in terms of how religion is being used. And, uh, you know, all in, in the shadow of climate disaster. And, you know, it's a lot to take, but, you know, at the end of this, cause I'm not, I'm not unlike anybody, even those of us who are 
catastrophic thinkers who were, uh, you know, already a little paranoid, a little frightened, a little expecting the worst, that there is part of that mindset that it looks for a little hope, at least to have a little bit of relief, you know? And I asked him, and it, and and you'll you'll get it at the end. But I I said to Jeff, I said, well, is there? Do do you have any hope? And I'm not going to tell you what his answer was, but he did make a point to say, look, for me, with or without hope, it's important to know what the fuck is up, so you can at least have that. Because denial is what drives us. We're insulated in our lives. We, we, we take care of what's in front of us and, and feel that we are doing all we can to maintain some sort of, I don't know if it's peace of mind, I don't know if it's happiness, but some sort of uh, grounded sense of, of uh, you, you know, to, to sort of exist in the world. But a lot of that doesn't, that's not big picture stuff. So this is sort of a big picture thing, but you will get the information and you can handle it. It probably just confirms, you know, your worst fucking nightmares. <laughs> but you kind of know, folks, if you're listening to me, you kind of know. But I would ride this out because um, you got to take it. You got to take it. It's important to know. And back when I was on Air America, I, I used to do, uh, I used to have, I create languages. Some of the, if, if you didn't realize this, the opening of this show, What the Fuckers, What the Fuck Buddies, is sort of a riff on something I used to do at Air America. I had a, a long list of different people I would shout out to, you know, at the top of a show, kind of list a variety of, of, of people and nicknames and whatever. But also during that show, I had created some sort of, uh, you know, glossary for myself. And I used to do a lot of uh, talking about the Christo-fascist zombie brigade. Now, this was in 2004. And this was something that Jeff Charlotte also informed and that I knew was happening. But they were, you know, they were still somewhat marginalized. They existed, but it was sort of a, a not a closeted affair, but a behind the scenes kind of affair. And it didn't have the fuel other than religious zealotry that it has now. And I also used a term uh, which was independent speculative investigators. That was my sort of nickname for conspiracy theorist. And then years later, during this show, uh, after Twitter became powerful, I came up with the, uh, the, the nickname Army of Unfuckable Hate Nerds. Now, Independent speculative investigators, which was conspiracy theories at the time in 2004, 2005. You know, again, uh, a somewhat fringe sort of movement, but always there, always fueled by, um, by right-wing thinkers, Heritage Foundation, certain uh, political action committees who would sort of uh, feed the fire. Same with the Christo-Fascist Zombie Brigade. There were always operatives outside of religion, within the political sphere, uh, working on the behest of uh, business to kind of push it along. And then once the army of unfuckable hate nerds were turned out like little bitches by Steve Bannon and Milo Yanapocalypse, what's that guy's name? And were used to sort of take their gaming mentality into uh, the real world through 
social media platforms and kind of fuck with reality, this is where you begin to have this momentum. It's uh, the Christo-Fascist Zombie Brigade, the Independent Speculative Investigators, the Army of Unfuckable Hate Nerds coalescing to create and maintain division at the behest of the American oligarchy in the name of globally malignant late-stage capitalism. And it's all on purpose. Appropriation of language, appropriation of ideas, neutering the fragmented left, which is not that hard to do. And, you know, this conversation you know, touches on this stuff. And also, uh, you know, hopefully we'll see how it goes with Naomi. I, you know, I, I like having my head full of this stuff. This is something, this kind of stuff that isn't necessarily politics per se, but just an assessment of what we're up against, I guess, politically, but also just in terms of climate, in terms of shameless fascism, uh, masking the appetite of uh, big business and somehow we're all left to just sort of adapt or die or, or, or see what happens. I don't want to bum anybody out. I'm at Largo in Los Angeles next Wednesday, September 6th. And then I'll be doing five shows at Helium in St. Louis, September 14th through 16th. I'll be at the Vegas, Las Vegas Wise Guys on September 22nd and 23rd for four shows. And then Bellingham, Washington, I'll be at the Mount Baker Theater for one show on Saturday, October 14th as part of the Bellingham Exit Festival. You can go to WTFPod.com slash tour for tickets. I can lighten it up. I, uh, I can get you back in the loop of, uh, you know, the Ukrainian refrigerator repair drama. You know, after what I talked about on Monday where there was screaming and yelling and uh, a seemingly... Uh, angry defeat uh, in terms of my refrigerator, much of it my fault, it turns out, after months and months of going back and forth with Alex, who, as I said before, has been doing uh, the, the refrigerator repair biz for 18 years and, and said, I'll quote again, I hate this fucking refrigerator. I hate this fucking refrigerator. After he broke the hinge, putting the door of the freezer back on, sending small ball bearings all over my house, which the cats are enjoying finding. So I texted him because I said, well, let's try and fix it. Because he, he said, get a, new fr- get a new fucking refrigerator. And I'm like, are you sure? He's like, I, I can order the hinge. You decide. It's very aggressive. So I, I told him to order the hinge. And then I texted him. I said, let me know when you can put the hinge on so I can use my freezer. If you're tired of dealing with the fridge, I understand. I screwed up with the valve. It's there now, but it's okay if you don't want to fix it anymore. I just want the door to the freezer to work. I've given up. But all throughout this thing, this guy, Alex, was determined to fix this. And he said, don't worry, I will finish. Hinges come tomorrow. Text me tomorrow for appointment. So th- this is ongoing, and I feel like the, the, the Ukrainian rage that was shared between father and son last week is settled. And I, I, maybe he's put it into perspective, but I really think he can't, like there's something in this guy that's not going to let him walk away from this fridge. And I was ready to buy a new one. I'm like, well, fuck it. It's just garbage. But like, you know, if he's on board, man, I'm on board too. We're in this together. And I think we can fix this refrigerator just in time for it to crap out entirely. And become unfixable. That's that's the way I roll. It used to be the way I rolled with cars. 
Just drive that thing, keep maintaining it, dump money into it, and maybe fix it one last time for a lot of money, only for it to crap out a month later. That's how I roll. I don't know who you are. All right, you guys. So, you know, relax. Don't freak out. You know, take some breaths and listen to me talk to Jeff Charlotte. The book, again, is called The Undertow, Scenes from a Slow Civil War. It's available wherever you get books. And, you know, this is a sobering chat. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature. And now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Fox Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Fox Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcast. For me, living in California, uh, I'll take any rain. I don't care if they're floods. I'll take the water. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll take that. Well, for me, living in Vermont, it's different. Yeah, that's our. That's you know, we go years without water here. We yeah. go years just watching plants die. I, I have a, a running stream through my basement, so. Wow. It's a different thing. Unintentional. Unintentional, but it's been there a long, long time. And, you know, it's just like it a just long bat. Yeah, there's like what's called a French drain, you know, to like to, oh, to circumvent okay. it. Yeah, yeah. What so, part of Vermont? Uh, it's a town called Norwich. It's about halfway up the uh, Connecticut River. I, yeah, I kind of remember Norwich. I, did, I paid my dues in, in that region. I like Vermont. How long have you lived there? Uh I went up there for to to teach in yeah. 2010. So great, there. right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's remote. It's remote. Yeah, I, it, 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 it's it's lovely and it's beautiful and it's a is a, a blue bubble, much yeah. like LA. Yeah, and the sense, but you know, there's just pros and cons to those bubbles. Which... No, this is a bubble of chaos here. This is an ever expanding bubble that that it has. It's hard to make sense of LA, but yeah, but it, but but a delusional bubble. Like, yeah. that's the thing where, where where lots of liberal and lefty folks. Yeah. sort of. Uh, don't necessarily see what's going on or right. imagine imagine things about the rest of the country. And, and in Norwich, Vermont, it's funny because it's a real, you know, it's a super liberal little sure. town. Sure, it's, it's it's next to a college town, and and everyone sort of imagines it. But you go, I go five miles in one direction, and there is a Confederate flag. Sure, there's a, a you know Trump as Rambo. Uh, with a big machine yeah. gun flag, there's yeah. the all black flag, which is a no surrender flag. Sure, you know all kinds of don't tread on me's, and you know people don't understand that Vermont is. I've never been able to get reliable data on this. I think it is the second or third best armed state in the nation. Yeah, and you know, yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's the same with a lot of blue cities. You, you, you know, I, I've been working on a bit that I do occasionally about how. Uh, Something about these these liberals who live in these blue cities, but but it's a blue city. It, but it, well, it's just the 
It's the storefront of a fascist state. <laughs> that's a good. Wow. That's a yes. Yeah, that's it. And, and I, I got to tell you, like traveling around with this book because I'm there in Vermont, yeah. right? And I, but like the most, I don't want to say conservative, uh-huh. but the most naive audiences for events I've encountered were in New York City. Uh-huh. And those are the folks who was interesting, uh, like a, a Pan International, which is like, you know, the big sort of writing, it's it's the big sort of like protect writers kind yeah, of organization. Sure. And, and uh, you know, I'm at Penn and there's people like, well, what do you think about Joe Manchin? Can he like bring us together? And that's a question I wouldn't hear in any other part of the country because they know that's delusional. But New York right. is so protected. And I remember there was one guy, a, a kind of, pretty prominent leftist who I'm not going to name, he says, well, I mean, come on, let's be serious. Nobody has guns pointed at them. And I'm like, first of all, you didn't read the book because that happens. And but also, also, every trans kid in America has a gun pointed at them. Absolutely. And it's it's spreading. The the uh, the spectrum of, of people who are in the sites is yes. spreading. Yes. And and I think, you know, in, in reading the book, which I did, and, and having, I believe I, I read The Family, but it would have been a while ago. But this is a beat that you've been on for for years, which is fun. You know, I was thinking about you know, because I was talking or even talking, you know, on Air America two thousand four, you know, daily almost using the word Christo fascist, and and I think I don't I know Hedges was you know uh, openly using the word Christo fascist. I feel like you were a little reluctant to use the word fascist for a while not back till, in the day, not till twenty seventeen. Uh, yeah, and, and I, I, it's like I, I write about. It there's like a little footnote in the book. I was wrong. Oh like, yeah, in that book, I, I, the family. I, that, I had yeah. like a chapter called the F word, and the F word, of course, is fascism. Right. And I'm talking about this right wing, uh, the the group that does a national prayer breakfast. Yes. And, and, and after World War II, they actually record, re, uh, recruited Nazi war criminals. And still, I said, look, there's more than one kind of bad under the sun. Yeah. They're not fascist. And then Trump in 2015 comes down that golden escalator and you see him. He's bringing a fascist aesthetic. And the question is, will it be received? Right away, dude. Right away. All the photography. You know, there's that's the other thing. To speak to like New Yorkers and Mm -hmm. and that question is that there is a generation of people that still get their news pretty old school. So, you know, they're just keeping up with politics, you know, from MSNBC or from the New York Times. And, you know, the Internet, for the most part, eludes them until they their brains turn to mush because someone showed them a thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So so there's there's, I guess, an ignorance to that. But it's it's generational. Well, I I, I would I don't know if it's generational. I was just actually. I mean, I, you know, there's the old, I would say actually in general, older folks are more comfortable, my experience of just sort of traveling, you know, you write the book and I yeah. spend a lot of time with fascists and then yeah. I go and I try and, you know, sell the book to people who are concerned about fascists and, and, and older folks are more comfortable with the term. And then I'm thinking of like a, a guy younger than me, I don't yeah. know, a uh, uh, New York Times reporter, senior politics reporter, and we're supposed yeah. to be doing this book event together, but yeah. it turns out he doesn't like the book, which is fine although like why is he doing the event but he just comes right in he's like you know i don't i don't think you need to use words like fascism and racism um and he claims incorrectly that the new york times doesn't because they do but he doesn't and 
And so I, I try and push them. Well, 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 okay, that's fine. I mean, I, I use it historically. And like, yeah. we can talk about like what it's fascism, you know, the, the thing on fascism, people's like, you just call anything you don't like fascism. And I'm like, no, I call a cult of personality with an open and explicit reverence for violence as a redeeming force and a purifying nationalist myth. Um, that's fascism. And it's not 1936 fascism. And this isn't the fascist state. This is a fascist movement in 2023. Yeah, it and changes. Right. And it's shameless. I mean, it, there comes to a point where, you know, I was I was also talking about this in terms of Jews, you know, who, uh, as an ex-girlfriend of mine put it, right when Trump got elected, I started freaking out and I, I needed to get my passport renewed because I was a Jew. And and she said, I don't think you're no, you're the first on the list. And I'm like, that's probably true, but we're probably fourth. <laughs> <laughs> well, right. This this is also sort of like one of, I think, and, and I'm saying this as yeah. like a somewhere liberal lefty, I don't know. Yeah. But like one of the delusions of liberalism, and especially of white liberals, is this like, I feel so sorry for yeah. whoever they imagine on the front line. Sure. And I'm like, you know you're standing behind them, right? Yeah. And it's true. They're going to take the first bullet. But then we're seeing that especially with like queer conservatives. Yeah who are stunned that the anti-trans movement turns out to be an altogether anti-queer movement, right? Well, I think that the evolution, and I mean, you hint about it in the book, but it's not the central theme, that this sort of uh, evolution of what they're othering, right? And then when does that become homicidal is when you get the word woke, right? So anybody woke, you know, this is like a spectrum, it's an umbrella term, for people who either are of the enemies that they see or or people who are aligned with them. So there's definitely this line drawn that is a firing line after a certain point. And one thing that I felt in your book that I don't always feel is that, you know, the manpower and the will is is close to being there. Yeah, this is wait, but this is also the great consolation. Like there's a I I, I go to uh, Congresswoman Lauren Boebert, who mm. rose to fame. People sure. probably your listeners know with this grill called Shooters, which is like Hooters, except the waitresses they wear. Yeah, you do a whole and, uh, uh, yeah. essay in there. Yeah, and I go there and I'm, and I'm having lunch. I'm having a Guac Nine burger with this militia guy, and you know yeah. he he's. He's just sort of a gentle nerd at the counter, but yeah. he's armed to the teeth, and and, and everybody's got guns. In everybody's there. got guns, and and you know he's talking about the civil war. He says is coming. Mm. Everyone says the civil war is coming, and and they're going to get out in the streets, and and Joe Biden is eating children. And I'm like, wait a minute. So when are you getting in the streets? Because if if there's already cannibalism happening. What is, you know, yeah, and he says, when they come for our guns. And that's actually kind of comforting. Yeah. Because the U.S. That's government like, isn't coming for their guns. And they never have. <laughs> yeah. And and so, uh, you. but I think, uh, but again, there's the bubble where people sort of say, or, or the way that people, you know, I can't remember like all those like uh, variations on the Al-Qaeda that are like, you're like, they're just imagining that all militia men are fat, right? Right. Um, and first of all, like, I don't know what that has to do with being shot. Right. Uh, and second, they're not. A lot of them are, are not. But but the reality is it's not like Civil War, like Game of Thrones or like what you saw in a movie. It's these sort of like mini secessions everywhere. It's, you know, Shasta County here sure. in I, California. I, I, I think that like, you, you know, there are these, there is a way to frame most of the domestic terrorism as, especially the way it's framed by the right as as the 
battles in in what is a civil war. Well, slow, I mean, that's what I call a slow civil war. Yeah. And then, like, like there's things. What, what's really interesting to me, whenever you hear a news story about you know somebody whose mind has been infected by QAnon and yeah. killed their whole family, and and there's been a few of those at this point. Those are horrible. Those are casualties of the slow civil war. There's a chapter in the book called TikTok, which is a QAnon thing, and it's this woman who made no national news, barely made local news. I just sort of stumbled awkwardly upon her. Evelyn in Austin, Texas, lefty, kind of hipster, went down the rabbit hole and becomes convinced that for Donald Trump, she has to go and attack the cabal and starts ramming her little red Fiero into other people's cars. Terrifies everybody. No one gets physically badly hurt, but a lot of people are terrified. Her life is now ruined and people say, why do you care about her? Because she was someone who was deluded and and that didn't make any news. Even like going through the police report, you couldn't, the local news, you couldn't tell this was What her thing. intent was. You yeah. just think, oh, it's just some crazy person. And then you're like, oh, no, this is another well, one fallen. And there's little Evelyns yeah. everywhere. I mean, sure. I have neighbors who are Evelyn. But I do th- think it's interesting, just through the Vax portal, how many uh, of a si- certain type of uh, uh, ungrounded lefties got sucked through it. The left to right side, I think of it. We, you know, like, like let me bring a world of pain on upon, upon myself and call it the Taibbi side. Okay. Um, uh, you know, Matt Taibbi, a journalist who I really, really yeah, he was have good. respected he, he for was good. a long time, yeah. and you know, has like a lot of folks has sort of built on that credibility. Um, Robert Kennedy Jr. Um, oh man! You know, I think I was. Uh, you're an Air America veteran. I think he, he had was, an Air America he show. He was on, I think I was on his show one once upon a sure, time, I and now I so, see him as dangerous in so many ways. Not least of which this sort of like weird flirtation with anti-Semitism. Yeah. Which again, like, oh, yeah. the Jews are fourth, but right, fourth is getting closer to the front. It for sure is. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, it, it, and also the the brain is is a lot softer, and you, you know, look. Softer in terms of its ability to protect itself from bullshit than I, I might have thought. You know, and also we all kind of move through our own bits of bullshit that keep us alive and well. But, you know, lack of critical thinking. And, and there's something you did that I thought was great in the book. It's a very personal book for you, I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. Because, you know, I saw a lot of you in there. There's a lot of beautiful, almost poetic writing in there. There, there are moments of you reacting to, you know, America, even as it is now, in, in a sort of way that's that's a little sentimental and sad, and yeah. and 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 hopeful in a sort of way. Yeah. Because you've been on this beat for so long, you know. I think the family was a huge book about that that group that was. It was mostly a, what a Bush two era thing. Well, they're still around, Mike yeah. Pence, but you know, I, right? I, look, this is my. I don't do political predictions, but my one claim to prescience is yeah. I did. I did this book called The Family about this. They're the oldest and once upon a time, arguably most influential kind of Christian nationalist organization. They go back to 1935 and they were founded with this idea that the New Deal was satanic socialism, just like the rhetoric we hear today. And God gives them this message that Christianity has been getting it wrong by focusing on the down and out. Instead, we should focus on those whom they called the up and out, the elites. And if you can convert them, you get this kind of trickle down religion. So I did this book and... It tanked, yeah, absolutely tanked so badly that like Wall Street journals, they're like, oh, they want to cover. I'm like, great, and I'm like, no, it's a publishing industry guy, and he wants to do a story on what happens when everything goes wrong with the book. Wow, and oh, that was it. And I was sort of 
declared kind of a conspiracy theorist. This couldn't be real. And I'm like, but it's here are the documents. Here's yeah. the archive. You can yeah. see it. You know? Yeah. And then a number of congressmen and politicians um, get caught having affairs. And this is kind of the level of understanding that the political press in America has. It's yeah. really ad- it's really averse to kind of systemic critiques. Yeah. But a naughty man with his pants down, now we're talking. Yeah. And uh, so I did this other book called C Street. This sort of a follow-up to that. And the one thing is at the end of the book, I'd written about one guy, a guy named Mark Sanford, who was once a presidential contender. And well, yeah, that guy with the, uh, the was he, did he have a South American experience? or what, Yeah, what was... he, he, he disappeared and yeah. his people said he was hiking on the Appalachian Trail. Right, right, yeah. He, uh, he, um, he was sort of a, a, a an Ayn Randian mystic, Atlas <laughs> hugged, you know, the Bible sure, and Ayn Rand together. Sure, good-looking guy. Southern, Southern guy. state. What state was it? South Carolina. Yep. So I said, all right, Sanford's out, but maybe in 2016 it'll be a little-known Indiana congressman backbencher named Mike Pence who uh, makes it to the White House. Well, I got it wrong, obviously, but, you know, he's, he, he was there. Sure. Um, and I don't think that he's ascended, and I think actually that— I actually thought that that kind of Christian nationalism would be, that was part of my resistance to using the word fascist because I thought America wouldn't switch out. Jesus would get in the way. You couldn't have a human cult of personality. And so that's what I mean when Trump sort of arrives. He's like, I I present myself as a divine figure. Will you accept that? But that that was an incredible turn that the evangelical community did in saying that like sometimes God chooses these flawed messengers or these yeah. flawed leaders. Yeah. I mean, that was the, the, the rationalization. God's that, chaos candidate was a bestseller sure, about Trump. Sure. It's like, you know, we, who are we to question God? We, you, you know, he's obviously, this is his guy. Not only who are we to question him, but look at the proof. You can tell this guy is divine. Yeah. You know, because he thinks so. married. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is part of that. Yeah. Like, um, the ego. You know, he claimed, right. Uh, but also he's so I hate the word flawed. Yeah. He's not flawed. He's a schmuck. Um, Yeah. um, uh, But he's so broken in so many ways, right? If he is in power, that's almost proof. That's a logical proof. If such a ridiculous figure can get into power, that's obviously got to be God's hand. And that's, you know, one of the things I think people don't understand, that's evangelicals, right? Yeah. But, you know, most of the people I encounter in this book, Ashley Babb is a big part of it. Most of them aren't churchgoers. No, Christian yeah. nationalists aren't churchgoers. They're they're angry people that feel pushed to the side for one reason or another, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's I, I feel like yes, but I feel like I think my my view, and you may differ, is that uh, I think it's too tempting. I'm wary of that narrative because it's seductive to blue bubble liberals and saying like, it's part of the myth that like, oh, you know what? You know who's going to save us? Young voters. So like this idea that, you know what? These folks are going to age out or America's going to diversify out. So like one of the American contributions to right. fashion, I go to this, uh, I'm going to these rallies and I'm like looking around and I'm like, oh, this rally is half people of color. This one rally in Sacramento, most of the speakers were people of color. Uh-huh. And it's... I think one of the things that it, it, there's a historian named Anthea Butler and yeah. wrote this great, like, slim book. If you like, I want to understand this Christian nationalism stuff. I don't want to read too much. This is your perfect book. It's, yeah. it's called White Evangelical Racism. And she was before this a historian of the black church. And so she's paying attention to conservatism there yeah. as well. And she calls it the promise of whiteness, right? Right. This idea that, that instead of, this is sort of the American solution to 
they can't take the German route, right? right. It's already too diverse. We can't and too purify big. it, right? Yeah. So we have to say anybody can be... In the whiteness? Th- yeah, in, in the whiteness. Yeah, so you're saying finally the sort of mythological fictions of American culture and actual politics and religion and, and now a, a certain amount of, of, of strange spiritual paranoia has come together into this, into this racist movement. I mean, I mean, this book really is, is about the, the fascism that's happening is being fundamentally about whiteness. I mean, throughout the book. But whiteness, that is, they, they can draw in more broad. than white people. Yeah, sure. Right, right. Well, I mean, I imagine the Aryan idea uh, that Hitler had, it, you know, at least at the beginning when he needed boots on the ground, it had a little wiggle room, not for Jews or, 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 uh, or gays. Oh, or, or, I mean, or, sure. All these nationalisms are, you know, there's no such thing as an, an Italian, right? Yeah. You know, and, and you go back far enough, people would have found that absurd. What do I have to do with someone from there or a Bavarian? Are you kidding? I'm nothing like those other people. Right. Um, and so it's always this creation of, of of this myth, and you know, to go back to the beginning, we were saying like Jews in fourth place. Right. One of the things that was fascinating to me is how quickly the all you need is an other, and that can mutate rapidly. So Trump comes in and yeah. it's Muslims. Yeah. That's not so central now, right? No, Mexicans next. Mexicans next. But then he started. Journalists to... really actually play this really good you got the, role. That was interesting in the book that you, you, the way you characterized it in that one chapter where the sort of the pen where the journalist was yeah. or are, you know, and you have to, you, you realize and they know that they are going to be the brunt of what whatever Trump is going to dish out. It's they show up to play the part in the passion play and we're doing it again. It's kind of there's the I think the coverage this time is a little better, but it's astonishing to me how many journalists are just sort of stepping up um, speculating, you know, do, playing the same kind of horse race stuff. Like this New York Times guy refuses yeah. to use the word fascist and 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 scolds other and refuses not only to use it but to learn the history of it, and I think it has to do with, um, it, 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 like you said, it's a personal book. To me, it's, uh, you know, the thing that's not present there. There was once a chapter about COVID, the pandemic. In and this I, book. Yeah, and then I decided to take it out for all sorts of reasons, but I wanted it to be, that's kind of the undertow in the current, and that's this massive grief that is unacknowledged. Oh, yeah, kind totally. of hurdles into yeah. to rage. There is all sorts of loss for these people, they're not wrong that we are living in an age of loss. Right. It's a, but it's a, but but what I have noticed is that it's uh, a, a a lack of willingness to admit a, a cross cultural PTSD, right? Yeah. That that you know has all the implications of any other sort. We had a collective trauma, and how anybody wants to deal with that, whether it's like you know anti-vaxxers or vaxxers, the idea that we lost you know three years of productivity and millions of people. I mean, it has an impact all across. And how you know any one person who comes from an anti-vax family and they lost a couple of people to COVID, how they justify that, whether it's God's will or whatever, as a human being, you're still dealing with the the grief. And the pain of loss. And and the loss also, like, will we step up to the moment? Right. No, we won't. You know, what What I always felt you know, in my own assessment of things and what you sort of deal with in this book, and, and I've talked about it on several comedy specials, is that it's very difficult to sort of think that any sense will come to people that, you know, believe that what's happening in the worst of ways, whether it's environmental or or 
or a, a disease or, or that the world ending is a deliverance. So, you know, these people in the family, too, that, you know, they'll build policy around that fear. But there's plenty of people in this book and, and, and it's a thread through it, I think, that that, you know, these are the end times. And we've been waiting for them on some level. So there's that weird mixture of like, we want this fascism, but you know, God's going to do us all in anyways. Well, yeah, there is. I mean, like the great awakening is this thing. There's, there's a couple great awakenings in American life. And now people say this is another one. The first one is uh, Jonathan Edwards, this right. guy in Northampton who, you know, is very important actually to the American revolution, which had a lot of kind of even, wasn't called evangelical then, but evangelical sort of overlap, this idea of, wait a minute, I need no radical Protestantism. I need no mediation, no priests, no kings. I'm going to run things. And that's what this really appealing narrative. Oh, freedom, the spirit of 1776, which for so many of these folks has sort of replaced the Holy Ghost. It's the Father, the Son, and the spirit of 1776, except that, of course, it blinds us to the ways like, well, you actually are, you know, I drove, the, the obvious thing, the response to libertarians, I drove here on roads and, yeah, you know, we've sure. got this nice electric grid yeah, that we yeah. don't know how to do, but yeah. someone does. Yeah. And and the way that we're very, very interdependent. Sure. And, and I think, so there's that end times, um, uh, fascination, but there's also this utopian I- idea. This one preacher, David Strait in Yuba City, California, this is like in the in, se- in the beginning, which is 1776, not yeah. biblical times, men lived like kings, free on the land, getting their own food. You're dependent on no one. This is a utopian fantasy, right? This sure. is, and I think, which is sort of another sort of like, I, I, I feel like I'm just bashing the bubble, but like people, these are utopians. There's so much language I think the left thinks that we own, and it's politically neutral. It's a movement. It's a social movement. Like, it's not. A, I don't like it. It's a bad one. Yeah. But it is a movement. Um, they are utopians. Like, how can they be utopians? They believe in this hateful world. Um, they believe that this world of loving community, they're experiencing this as love. And then, of course, there's the denialists. There's the ones who are, like, looking forward to this. But I think about coal rollers, you know, coal rollers, those trucks where you you you, you rig up your pipe so it like spews extra yeah, yeah, black yeah. carbon. Sure. Yeah. And and when I see coal rollers, I think of that kind of grief and denial. Like they're experiencing climate change. Everyone's experiencing it. They're saying it's not real, right? Yeah. There used to be this thing, I think in the 1920s, it was called the Yiddish Anarchist Ball. And, yeah. You know, all these American Jews are all anarchists and communists and so on. The anarchists, of course, are atheists and so on. And on Yom Kippur, they would roast a pig. Yeah. And they'd feast. This is the day you're supposed to fast for the non-Jews out there. And, um, you know, this is not atheism. This is, see how much I don't believe in you? Yeah. The coal roller is like, if you really don't believe in climate change, you're not coal rolling. This is like, see how much I don't accept the fires around me, the floods around me. See how much I don't accept that I am losing things. And I'm good. Now, there is And what a, do you see that as a will to power? I think there's people who recognize that sentiment in people, that brokenheartedness in people as very so it's a nihilist, malleable clay. I, okay, so it's a nihilistic fuck you to sort of empower the hopeless. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, but it's also it's it's 
grief, you know, a, a way to understand it is like if you've ever lost someone, right? And, you know, uh, uh, many people drink too much after they lose someone yeah. they love. Many people fuck the wrong person after yeah. they lose somebody they love, yeah. right? I do think that's a little bit of how the pandemic accelerated, which, what was a fascist movement and has made it more powerful now, yeah. is there's a lot of people who are expressing their grief in all the wrong ways. And and I don't want to let them off the hook. Like, this is not... Uh, no, I, well, yeah, because, like, you know... Because uh, they are. They are. I mean, you know... That, uh, absolutely. They but, have pain, but they're passing it on. And Right, but, yeah, they're they're doubling down on their anger. You know, when you apply sort of contemporary psychological models of trauma to what you're seeing as the problem. Uh, unfortunately, it doesn't uh, mean that it, you know, it will be received as such and that there's any way for these people to process it properly. No, I think it, I, I think this is the other question. I, you, you always get a book event. Well, how do we speak reason to these people? Yeah. And, and well, first of all, I'm, I'm Jewish. I'm not an evangelical. I don't evangelize. Uh, I, you know. Yeah. Um, I do believe in organizing. We, we negotiate. <laughs> We're diplomatic. <laughs> well, and I believe I believe in organizing. Sure. Like, um, but I think there's also this sense um, that these beliefs aren't sincerely held. And the way I kind of frame this now is their um, beliefs. Yeah, their yeah. beliefs. And, and they, you know, writing about the right—that's oh, always see. kind of what's so, always fascinated me. Is I mean, partly I'm politically motivated, but also to me, it's just like, wow, what is it like to live? And you know, it's like going. To evil Narnia. What is it like to live in a world where you, this makes sense? Well, it's it, yeah, it's also like Sidney Pollack said and Michael Clayton, people were fucking incomprehensible. So, oh, you, you know, so yes. you... I was just thinking of rewatching that movie. I haven't seen it since it was in the theater. Well, I like the idea that, that you don't feel like there's a, a deep commitment, that it is a reaction. And, and that doesn't imply that you can fix it, but it implies... Oh, no, 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 no. It's not... That becomes deep. Just because it's not so, so the little anecdote in the beginning, it, 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 and you know, I talked to you years ago about yeah. this book, Killing the Buddha, where we're traveling around and we were talking. A, a person had gone in and um, uh, shot up a church in uh, Hendersonville, North Carolina, yeah. and 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 my writing partner and I got there a day after. Yeah. We're trying to understand this, and thank God the gun was filled with blanks. But think again of the yeah. terror that it sure. it, 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 it instilled. And so we go to see the sheriff and the, the local sheriff, and he did not like us at all. So we're yeah. sitting there, and we're just like young writers, and we don't know anything. And he's just sneering at us, and he opens his drawer, and he pulls out and points a gun at us. Yeah. And, and you know, we just about piss our pants. Right. And it's a absolutely realistic toy gun. Yeah. Now, that's just a toy. But yeah. If you had pointed at me, I would have shot you. And that's just to show you that things that aren't real can still hurt you so it's a reaction right uh -huh. but it becomes real the things that QAnon isn't real but it can still hurt you the delusions of trump aren't real but it doesn't matter okay. to the person on the other end of the gun and they believe it so sincerely so i was going to say like the example my kid from whom this book is in my elder child and, and my two kids but my elder child who's been a trans kid struggling with a lot of mental illness yeah. and so on uh, very aware of the news, very yeah. terrified of the news. It's sort of like, how do I find not cheap grace, but hope for them? Yeah. Their school in a very liberal area um, is, uh, we don't, I don't know the status of the legal yeah. status. Uh, a group of families is trying to, you know, change what their they're curriculum. Doing. They want a list of all the kids who come wearing, you know, 
clothes that are supposedly of the other gender. Like, how do you determine that? You yeah. know, pronouns. They, they want to attack all this stuff. So I think, look, my kid is in real distress. These are neighbors of a small town. Maybe if I just go to them, I don't know them. Maybe if I go to them and say, I'll t- I get fall into that trap of yeah. I'll talk reason yeah, to them. Sure. Um, and then I look them up. And uh, they're Dartmouth College grads. Um, they're very educated, yeah. very successful. Yeah. And I'm like, oh. These people, it's not that they don't understand what they're doing. Yeah. I can't go to them and say, it, what if they said, what, you know what, Charlotte's trying to stop us from doing this. What if we just, instead of fighting, what if we knocked on his door and explained to him that transgenderism is a threat to the American people? Right. Maybe we can talk, re- no, they can't talk reason into me right. in that sense. I can't talk reason into them. That's where I think the simmer of civil war happens when instead of saying we are beyond the talking reason, like this is a which side are you on kind of moment. Well, yeah, well, well, once tolerance is removed from the democratic equation, it's impossible to maintain. Yes, and I think there's this both-sidedism. Uh, like yeah. Charlotte says, he, 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 he won't tolerate. No, I won't tolerate them trying to force my child out of school. And they, so they say, I won't tolerate Charlotte's child in school. And because I said, I won't it's a tolerate you kicking my kid out of school. These are not the same thing. It's a little bit like I, I you know, you run into all these folks who are like, well, on, you know, trans issues are difficult and so on. And I'm, yeah. I can always simplify them for them because around the country now, for people who follow this stuff, yeah. you know, virtually every weekend somewhere, there's a, a big pack of burly dudes, oftentimes armed men with guns outside yeah. a school, a library, a, a hospital, a bar. And inside there's some kids. And you can say you think drag story hour is stupid or whatever you want, but there's a group of kids in there and there's a group of men with guns on the other side. Which side are you on? This isn't complicated. Save your nuance and your questions for later because we are at that moment. Right. But isn't that the moment also where that whether they're from Dartmouth or not, that they're, that you can't, at, after a certain point, not call them fascists? Oh, no, I do. No, I call I'm them not, fascists not, because they're yeah, yeah. general. Right, right. Oh, that well, that's the other temptation. They're not fascists. They went to a good college. Yeah, <laughs> right. But it's, it's it, like, what is the functioning GOP now is a shameless fascist movement. And until they change the language, I don't think I, I don't think people know what it means. They could call, I mean, I, I'm very much an all-hands-on-deck person sure. now. There's something from the 1930s called the Popular Front, and this is where the American Communist Party said, you know, eventually comes around to sort of say, like, look, we don't like FDR. Yeah. You know, we're way to the left of him, but we got we all got to work together here, right? Um, and I think it's a Popular Front moment. So, like, if you want to call it authoritarianism or... Um, or if you're like a Republican never-Trumper yeah. with whom I disagree on most things, yeah. that's fine. I do think there is value. Like, I'm not going to evangelize, but I do think there is value to sort of saying, let's learn about the word fascism and how it changes and the confusion between, this is not like Nazi Germany. No, it's not. Um, that was a fascist regime in power. This is a fascist movement trying to take power. Right. Um not as bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Still a little bit of hope there. But combined with climate also really, literally, potentially world-ending in a way that yeah. Hitler never was. Yeah, and, and, and you know, and it's, it, it, yeah, one supports the other. I mean, you know, Hitler wanted to take over the world, but but if, if this plays out the way it could, then there'll be no awareness or no caring because the, the I would imagine that, if a fascist regime takes power here, the machinery of capitalism is just going to be unregulated entirely and, and serving the nation. Unlike our current well-regulated system. But you I know mean, and, I mean. This, and this is where then lefties sort of say, but it's so fucked up now. And I'm like, 
Yes, it is. But the folks who imagine, well, this is the other response is, well, you know, if you're a young black man, right, yeah. dealing with cops, you're already living in that experience, right? Every and, day. And so, like, oh, now white folks are just going to discover it. And, I, well, no, I'm going to say it could get a lot worse. And I think this is kind of the privilege that we have of not living in a most of us, unless we come from somewhere else, yeah. have not experienced a war. Where you know, look at Ukraine; it can yeah. get a lot worse. The threat is not militias marching. That's sort of ridiculous. Yeah. Right? The threat, which you know, senior military commanders have said, is division in the military, a yeah. breakdown in the chain of yeah. command. Right. And all these little fringe guys, like the guys I meet all over the country, who have each one has a little different conspiracy theory of their own. It's so isolatable, but suddenly. It's there, the base for... Um, sure, all you need is like, uh, you know, four more Michael Flynn's. We have four more Michael Flynn's, but what's, what's interesting, having reported on the military a long time too, is that the military historically has been really good at keeping crackpots in line. They kept yeah. Michael Flynn in line. It didn't matter if you believe in, you know, astrology. If you get the Jeeps there on time, yeah. it doesn't matter. Right. Um, and the conspiracy theories weren't built around this central question of the commander-in-chief, yeah. the, the chain of command. And right. that changes things so that you see even senior military officers saying, look, the military is not as monolithic as people think it is. We're yeah. already seeing these like little simmering, not, you know, these are legal terms, but, you know, the way National Guard commanders, yeah. and I think seven states refused to abide by the vaccination orders. Right. Well, so Biden could have said, all right, we're going to crack down. Right. I think very wisely, he didn't, you know, like, let's not, I, I'm not like one of those people. Let's, like, let's draw not, a line. Yeah. Yeah. And then people say, well, does that mean you don't think we should indict Trump? No, but you, you do need to recognize that each thing has its own power. It has its own power. And the next thing won't be like the last thing. Yeah. Well, there's no January 6th when they arrest Trump. So I guess it's over. They will never, I don't think there'll ever be another January 6th because that movement is all these Folks that I'm visiting, I met so many January 6s, they'd all been visited by the FBI. Yeah. Many of them thought, I must be the FBI. And then yeah. it was a little bit, one of their sort of fuck yous. Like, yeah. I don't care. I'll talk to you. This yeah. guy invites me into his house that's filled with an arsenal of guns, ammo, yeah. body armor. He's a leader of a militia. He says, I can take pictures of the guns and his cats like you. He's yeah. a cat lover. Yeah. Four cats. Yeah. Uh, like you and me. He's Jewish or so he says. Yeah. Not really, but he's yeah. like, you know, like one of these. That's his thing. Like I'm one of the chosen. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, you take pictures of the guns. These are the legal ones and so on. Yeah. Um, this guy is not the militia that's going to march. This guy is the guy that is there who is sort of the fabric yeah. that is ready for the someone thing. to exploit. and and Someone to exploit? Exploit, yeah. And, is and, that a, a diplomatic word for kill? Oh, no, no, no. I mean, for... for, for um, oh, so he's a recruiter. He's a guy on, with boots on the ground to spread the word. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and to, to make more... Everybody, to, to normalize the idea. Um, I saw a headline, AP headline the other day uh, about this... Georgia, consp uh, yeah. Georgia indictment. Yeah. Trump and his allies, allies. They're not allies. Yeah, that's a political term. They're not allies. They're accused co-conspirators, right? Right. But there's that normalization, and and that expansion of this power and this liberation of these folks. 
the, you know, the other thing I think about is like, you know, you're talking about conspiracy theories and I know you've thought a lot about conspiracy yeah. theories. It feels very liberating to give yourself over to a conspiracy theory. Well, well, yeah, and that's what I wanted to talk to you about in terms of your explorations of religion in general and some of the through lines of this book. Now, I thought that it was very interesting the way you bookended this book, you know, yeah. the, the chapters at the beginning and the end. You open with a fairly lengthy exploration and history of Sidney Poitier's sort of uh, what he... Harry Belfonte and uh, and Poitier. I'm sorry, yeah, Harry yeah. Belfonte. They, but they, there is a scene where they go to Mississippi together to... But it's, it's Harry plan. Belfonte, I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. But it is sort of the arc of Harry Belfonte's activism, his his blackness, yeah. uh, his... his uh, his anger yeah. and 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 how that impacted culture and and how he maintained a certain you know radical and black spirit in the face of of white culture uh, and he made choices in his life to maintain that uh, despite white culture and in spite of opportunities he may have had himself and this is the way you chose to open this book that unfolds as an exploration of the evolution of white racism. And then you, at the end, you talk about Lee Hayes, the, you know, the folk musician who was in the Weavers with Pete Seeger, who wrote If I Have a Hammer. Mm. And you talked about that very specific uh, event in, where is it, Peekskill, New York, Peekskill, New York, where the Weavers who had been identified as either communists or communist sympathizers or the voice of communism or socialism in America, and they were to play there. And and I didn't know about that event, but it came a bloody fucking mess that, you know, they, they went the first night, a few, you know, a, a small mob, and then the next night when they rescheduled it, it was a huge mob that included military people and 5, the police. 5,000 and the use of air power from helicopters from the New York State Police helping the rioters who were trying to kill Pete Seeger, Woody Guthrie, and most of all, for the transgression of uh, being a black communist, Paul Robeson, yes. kind of forgotten, but a superstar of his time, yes. called the Russia-loving Negro Baritones, is the yeah. local paper. And they they try to kill him. The last line of that story, which I organize around Lee Hayes, who was this big towering guy from Arkansas, Pete Seeger's songwriting partner. Yeah. I mean, even, it's not my music, but I but also was my music as a kid in elementary school singing if i had a hammer sure. yeah, yeah. And, you know on top of old smokey yeah my dad loved pete seeger yeah, yeah you sang all those songs and they're stripped down they're sanded down yeah, they're yeah. smoothed over right. to discover that they have this radical core this radical imagination lee hayes is a big guy he wasn't a brave man where pete seeger goes and testifies before the house on american affairs yeah. committee and his whole, whole idea is he's prepared a song from each right-wing congressman's district and they say what is you know beliefs well i have a song for you yeah lee was broken he was broken he was destroyed by it. these prosecutions um, yeah and the same way i think of we're reading now about ruby freeman uh the the elections worker in georgia who trump targeted just an ordinary person and has yeah. now been in hiding since is afraid to go out lee never went out again but he had this in writing his sort of memoirs and peak skill and remembering nearly being killed by this mob, he goes back even further to this moment in Arkansas where he's from and he's yeah. driving around with these labor organizers, uh, black and white, which is a big crime at yeah. this time. And there's a carload of gun thugs. Uh, you know, these aren't, isn't the clan. This is just from the company yeah. uh, coming after them and they're singing and they're terrified. And they start singing, um, uh, you know, 
they've got their radical labor songs. Yeah. But then they're all, they all grew up in the church. Right. Um, and uh, uh, they start singing hymns. And he's got this line. And it's the last, I'll give it away. It's the last line of the book because it was the first line. It's like, how do I get there? Because that's the line I need to write for my kid. It was, for a while it was possible not to be scared even. For a while it was possible not to be scared even. The hope is not, don't worry, it's going to be okay. Um, the hope is not in the language of safe spaces. We're going to make safe spaces. Yeah. I think of another Arkansas organizer, Suzanne Farr, legendary queer rural organizer. And she's organizing with this, and she's living in a queer commune with all these women. And I think it's the 70s or 80s. Yeah. And, and women, straight women start fleeing their violent partners. And the violent partners come after and say, hand them over. And Suzanne Farr and her friends say, no. They stay in the ground, and uh, you know this is this is a different kind of thing. Um, this is not. Uh, there may have been guns. I don't know. They say no, and and I remember Suzanne was telling this to me and a young activist, and the young activist says, "That's so wonderful. You made a safe space." And Suzanne Farr, who for all her radicalism is like a, just a, a like my southern my granny was from Tennessee very yeah. much. She says, "Oh, honey." There are no fucking safe spaces. That's the th the hope of this. And yeah. The reason that's there is there's no fucking spaces, but there's faking. There's safe moments we can make. Yeah. And if we're depending on that static energy, or depending on like young voters just fixing things for yeah. us, no. This is that the hope had to begin with that, and I wanted to have like expand the radical imagination. But if I come at that with like a straight up organizer in a didactic way, people are going to say no. If I come at it with this song. That as as Mr. B, Harry Belfonte says, yeah. Deo, the banana boat yeah. song, which he understood as daylight come and me want to go home. It's a work song. It's yeah. a guy saying, fuck the boss yeah. song. Come, Mr. Tallyman, tally me banana. That's the guy who's deciding how much he gets paid. Harry, who was radical, and we just lost him at 96. People get upset when I say Harry was angry to the end of his days. What do you mean? I mean, he was joyous, too. But he was angry. Yeah. He didn't. The struggle is long. This is the hope. Trump wants us to believe that there's a storm coming. The cataclysm is now. Yeah. And either we will win or we lose. This is climate change too, right? Yeah. If we don't do something now, we're going to die. Well, a lot of us are going to die. Yeah. And then the next day. And then the next day. The struggle is long. So that's where it begins. That's the hope. Both those guys, Harry Belfani and Lee Hayes, were both defeated, Right. How is that the hope, right? Yeah. Well, here we still are. Yeah. They were defeated. This this is not going to be decided tomorrow. It's not going to be decided in 2024, even if Trump wins, which I think is a pretty strong possibility. Yeah. Um, and if we go through a period of fascism, uh, which I think we will. You do think that? I do. I do. I, I, I'm not positive. I think that, you know, one of the things I... I one of the central lies of fascism is inevitability. Yeah. And, and that's where we get, that's why I write a lot about movies in the book too, is sort of thinking about the stories by which we make, is why I reject the term crisis. No climate crisis, no crisis of democracy, right? Right. The crisis is like, and then the end, right? But that's not going to happen. Right. It's not, you know, either we'll stop climate change and the glaciers will come back or we'll all incinerate. Yeah. Neither, neither of those we could all incinerate. We're yeah. definitely not getting the glaciers back. Right. Right. Um, fascism is going to come. I think. Yeah. I mean, we're already in a lot of parts of the country there. Yeah. I would say 
Florida is a mild fascist state. Sure. Now, right? Texas close. Texas, Texas close, right? And and individual counties all over. Yeah. Know? I mean, there's parts of the Northeast Kingdom in Vermont that are yeah. that's a region of Vermont uh, that, that are that are already there. Um, local officials. There's a million little Trumps. Yeah. And it's a global movement, right? So yeah. you know, there's plenty of other places. And then what? Right? Like you said, you know, getting your passport ready. To go where? Well, to go where, right? And actually, this is the first time that I'm actually, 2016, I thought, oh, that's ridiculous. You're not going anywhere. It's hard. Not you, Mark. Yeah. You know, it's hard to go other places. And 2020 is saying, this time, uh, get my passport ready. Get Um, your papers in order. Yeah, I do think this, I think people aren't paying attention. We've been so numbed to the awfulness of the rhetoric and understandably, most people want to live their lives and aren't weirdly fascinated like yeah. I am. We don't notice that it's changing. And Trump has, the Trump rhetoric has gotten far more. I mean, that's one of the themes of the book is that there's these stages. The first campaign was like the prosperity gospel. Yeah. You get rich. God wants you to get rich. Yeah. Well, Trump wants you to get rich like him. 2020 was the QAnon gospel or yeah. like a bastardized American Gnostic gospel. Conspiracies dark. With January 6th, we enter the age of martyrs, what historical fascism calls the blood martyr. And Trump had been trying to drum that up. I would go to these rallies and he would say the names of people killed by undocumented folks. And a good number, part of the crowd knew them. But they just needed that official license of Ashley Babbitt killed on January 6th. And she's not the forever martyr. She's just sort of like holding a spot on the cross you spend a lot of time, get up there. Right. Yeah. You spend a lot of time with her in the book in, in talking about she her. She changes the book. The book was going to be a very different book until January 6th and like I see that And killing. then you could see the final piece of this you, you know propaganda puzzle or the myth puzzle of uh, what you you see is this. Thank God it's not the, the final piece is the killing piece and we're not there yet but the martyr piece is the piece before. Yeah, the killing, the killing of the piece. other? Yeah. Yeah. I mean you know we see like little pop 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 here yeah um in different places so in in talking to you about this specifically now you enter this book you know believing that you know whether it's there's there's no end to it but there is a change and that you know fascism is likely so you begin that this book in that mindset and and so what it seems like you set out to do which you know has its moments of beauty and and empathy for you know the people in this movement, in a way, uh, is is kind of show people what is happening throughout the country in smaller pockets and larger pockets. Uh, you know, in the churches, you know, you know, from the flags in local governments a little bit. But it seems to be the through line is really about these rallies, whether they're religious rallies or 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 smaller churches. And the people yeah, that have yeah. certain flags. Services is sort of what I would say. Like, yeah, at first I was like, well, no, that's like the the first, you know, the, the campaigns of 2016, 2020. I wanted to sort of, originally the book was going to be just sort of, you know, an episodic history of that decade. Um, really? Yeah, it was going to end on, on 2020. 2020. Yeah, yeah I, I, I sold the idea of the book in 2018. Yeah. And, um, uh, and then... I, after January 6th, I threw out a lot of stuff yeah. that I was going to include in it. And then I just started sort of wandering around. But you're right. Those become, you know, these little militia churches, uh, a lot of sort of mini mega churches, even some mega churches now have, um, not figuratively, but actually have their own, you know, Wednesday night is women's night. You know, Thursday night is youth night. Tuesday night is new militia recruit night. This is Yuba City, California. 
Omaha, Nebraska. I went to uh, that one's a heavy scene. That's where you were in the parking lot in Omaha. That's this weirdly. That's the scariest thing I think that has happened to me in thirty years of journalism. And I've been in worse places, but I have never been so fucking terrified. Um, I, I'm in Omaha. I go to the church of um, uh, Lord of Hosts Church, and it's a, a sort of a strip mall, and so, and I'm just basically it's. Sunday morning, I'm driving and how did, how did did you did you have a, a map of where you wanted to stop? I mean, no, no, I don't. I, that's I don't know how to do that. I'm not I'm not a good reporter in the sense I'm going to go and find the most important person. I've done some of that, but there's other people who do it. So better. you're really going sort of town to town. You chose a route. Yeah, people. Not even. I was like a lot of times, like, oh, a detour. I guess we're going this way. Um, Interesting. I got to Jackpot, Nevada, because of a, a fire, and go. Well, you're going this way now. Um, um, Omaha, Nebraska. I'm just sort of going through, and now I'm trying to get home. And it's Sunday morning. I'll go see what's happening in this church. It's a strip mall, and you have your choice of mega churches. All the big box stores become yeah. mega churches. And I choose the one that looks like Best Buy. Each one is like a different store. Yeah. And. Um, Pastor Hank Kuhneman presiding means nothing to our listeners, but he is a figure of like medium national prominence, a prophet. Yeah. Um, uh, is on a, a show called Flashpoint that Trump and various right wing congressmen go on. It's yeah. an open pro civil war programming. Yeah. People who like, not like this could happen, not like what if it happens, it's going to happen, not like that's sorry. We're gonna kick ass. Let's yeah. go. Let's go. When 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 does when does it start? That's Pastor Hank. He gets prophecies from God. And he's a great pastor. And it's interesting. The other thing, people is odd. Here's this church. It's about third people of color. Pastor Hank's a white guy. He claims to preach like a black man, to have learned in the black church. Yeah. Um, and I will say, I mean, he's not he's a good preacher. He's yeah. a good performer. Yeah. At one point he I've identified myself a reporter and and he starts preaching against reporters and I'm yeah. like it's like he's going to throw his bible at me and yeah. I'm like and, and you know it's I hope you're having a good time and I am I mean the music is fantastic it's good yeah. afterwards though no one will talk to me I go out in the parking lot and I meet these three women who I'd seen inside and they're also visitors. They've driven four hours to be there. So we're just talking, and it's like 90 degrees and black top and yeah. blasting. I'm wearing a jacket because I'm trying to respect the church. Yeah. Just, and uh, just sweating, and they're sweating, and they're telling me about the Civil War that's coming. And, you know, it's yeah. just, like, it's not even a question anymore. It's a Civil War. And then, you yeah. Know, you go. And an usher and a gunman came. And Pastor Hank had already preached. He said, you know, Psalm 23, people know that, you know, thy rod and thy staff that come from me. He would make fun of them. Yeah. Thy rod is thy gun. And when yeah. he does this, and I didn't put it in the book, and I wish I had, um, he does a hip thrust. Uh -huh. Thy rod is thy dick and thy gun. And yeah. he's very plain about that, yeah. right? And uh, the gunman, full tactical gear, it looks like a cop in riot gear. Yeah. Not a cop. He's part of the church's yeah. force. And the usher... It's like, you can't talk here. And I'm like, but we're in public. And yeah. I just get stuck on it. And I know I should turn away. And since I had a heart attack, I vowed never to get in those situations yeah. again. I just run away from conflict. Yeah. But I got my little mechanical pencil. And it's like this like most pathetic Freudian thing ever. But like, I just bought a pencil. And I'm clicking the, the yeah. leads. And the leads are dropping. And you brought a gun. And, and it's just getting, I remember this because I, I had never really understood this. I've always been like in situations where, you know, the kind of dude who pushes his chest in you. Yeah. And that's scary, but it's also bravado. Yeah. And it's also your clue that this is 
probably not someone who's going to hit you. Like, yeah. If someone's going to hit you, you don't put. They don't put their chin out. Yeah. They show just... you their hand out scared. This guy is curling in. Yeah. Curling around his chest is grinning, which is a sort of thing. This human instinct that we have. Like, have you ever seen someone grin when they're angry at yeah. you? Yeah. They're burying their teeth. Yeah. As I learned after the fact, this yeah. is actually like this old lizard brain part of our brain. Yeah. Right? I'm like, shit. This guy. They don't care. Not I'm, the gunman, the other guy. Yeah, the gunman is like super cool. He loves this moment because like here's like, they're just sort of stepping forward. I say, you brought a man with a gun. And finally the usher says, how do you know I don't have a gun? And I just turned around and I ran. They didn't actually draw their guns. Yeah. I could feel like this is the situation. These people, when I was younger, I'd say, this is great. They're going to hit me. And then yeah. the local cops are yeah. going to arrest me. Right. That's going to make my book a bestseller. Right. Um, but now I'm like, I'm going to, I can feel my heart. I can feel my pulse. I'm very aware of my pulse. Yeah. I got to go. I, you know, the undercurrent of the story is I'm carrying my stepmother's ashes in the car. It's yeah. a little odd, but yeah. I retrieve them on the way. I don't want to go to jail. And, and I ran. And, I, you know, I've been in, you know, I've been in other countries. I've had real guns and bigger guns pointed at me and knives and baseball bats and so on. And this was scary. This has never happened. The thing about reporting on the right in America, and I'm, I'm a, a cis white dude. I'm bald. That helps. I look yeah. non-threatening. Yeah. And I look like, you know, so I'm able to go spaces. But even that, people know I am, would always say, it's no accident that you came here to this church, this compound, this whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, and they, they would try and, you know, they were sure I was going to convert. They're not interested in conversion anymore. You're yeah. a journalist. You're on the other side. We're not going to like say, yeah, we know you're the devil, but we'll spread our message through you. They're going to bring a gunman out and say, get the fuck out of here. They are ready to go. And it's like, here's the, here's the metaphor I've come up with. I didn't put it in the book, but it's like, you know, no, it's not on fire, right? But if you ever like flick matches and you can't light one. Yeah. Yeah. And how long, every time a line of guys with guns is outside a library, yeah. they don't shoot. Flick right. a match. Flick a match. Yeah. And and maybe they will, and everyone will say, that is terrible. Or the next mass shooting by a fascist who's copying the manifesto of the last one. That One of these, you know, we're standing over a box of dynamite and flicking matches onto yeah. it and saying, they haven't caught, there's nothing to worry about. Yeah. This was a match, and and you felt it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's why it was it was scary to me personally. It was scary to my heart. Well, also that, that moment when you say you know what it was like in the past is that uh, the the cops were probably in the church. Yeah. So you, you know there was no. Oh yeah, I said I'm going to call the cops, and they're like, Oh yeah, go ahead, please. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they know which side the the cops are right. on there. You know, um, and it, you could always, from there, I didn't put this in the book. I drove to uh, uh, Iowa and I was meeting with another reporter who's been doing the same thing. And yeah. She's like, yeah, it's different. It used to be you could go anywhere. Yeah. I mean, you could go up to straight up Nazis. Yeah. And in this book, three times, first Proud Boys swarm me. I get vouched for basically because I'm a white guy. Yeah. Um, Lauren Boebert's grill, this guy comes out. And I mean, it's all this sort of acting performance. The manager decides yeah. it's time for me to go with his hand. I, well, I'm on radio or whatever. Yeah. You know, he's got his hand hovering over his sidearm. Yeah. Like, a, like he's going to do a quick draw or right. something. It's like, it's time for you to go. And I, I'm not afraid of guns. I'm a gun owner. I mean, I'm afraid of guns in the way that we should be. Yeah. I'm a gun owner. Yeah. I live in this armed state. Right. I've seen guns and so on. I've ne- there are 
at least 400 million guns yeah. in civilian hands. Yeah. And, you know, the things that really, do, I'm all hands on deck, but the lefties who are like, well, they're not the only ones who have guns. And I'm like, yeah, but they have about 375 million of them. So, yeah. like, forget it. Yeah. Nobody wins a civil war. Don't say, hey, we're, we'll meet you, right? Um, I've never seen so many just out and part of it. And even gentle churches. There's another church I really loved in Holiday City, Ohio. I love this guy. He was so great. We're in it. We're talking together. Oh, the guy who was putting the tent Pastor, up? Pastor Pete. Yeah. 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 And then Civil War. Wait, he said fire. He calls it pockets of fire. He yeah. says pockets of fire springing up everywhere. Yeah. You know, and will become a forest fire. I don't know. Um, and this is like, in, in the other thing that you're talking about in terms of uh, the, the the rationalization or the ignorance of, of the left and regular people who just want to live their lives, is that because of the nature of technology, all these people are communicating. They're all relatively yeah. on the same page. And they have their own TV shows, like you just said. I don't know that show. Yeah. And, and, they and that's have, a big one. There's so many layers and layers and layers, of yeah, course. Yeah, and you talk about the rabbit holes that people go down. And I, and I like the whole sort of, you know, modeling, uh, you, you know, or the, the reference to the Gnostics yeah. and Gnostic writing and how there's, uh, there's, there, there's not an either or, there's both. Yeah. And, and that, you know, that is the thing that becomes slippery in the human brain when you start to believe conspiracies. There's, you know, there's a line in the book that, you know, I... I uh, I underlined, which is, um, that is the great truth of our paranoia now, not knowing, not needing to, not knowing is its own dim dreaming certainty. Yeah, yeah. So like, because you've had those moments where you're trying to have a logical conversation with an, uh, 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 a QAnon person or a person that believes in this spectrum that you discussed in the book, and you, you do the opposite point to make your point that she might be wrong. And she goes, exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Diane G in Sunrise, Florida. Yeah, Diane G was great. She's another. I mean, nobody's born a fascist, right? And everyone knows that. But yeah. they still subscribe to this kind of essentialism. And they still imagine that they are immune, whether demographically or by their virtue. Yeah. Or, or worst of all, by their taste. And I remember I was, I, I gave a talk at, about this at the American Psychiatric Association. Weird venue, but they won it, right? And all these, like, the this, you know, this the coolest, most hipster urban psychiatrist. Yeah. And one guy says, like, well, you know, I think there, in the arts, there's really a lot of resistance to this. And there's stuff that just cannot be absorbed by fascism. You know, like, I don't think, like... Um, like I think of a, a queer artist like Lil Nas X. Yeah. Like, well, we can't ask Ashley Babbitt, the central figure, but I know a lot about her. If she was alive, I think she would love Lil Nas X. Yeah. Um, not to mention the fact, not so known, Ashley was queer in practice, if not in theory. She lived with uh, her husband and their girlfriend. Yeah. Um, you know, those lines are not as sharp. I think about another guy named George Riley, who was a January 6th insurrectionist I met in Sacramento. Mm -hmm. And we were sort of together watching a brawl between Proud Boys and Antifa. And George, who... Um, George is great. He, he claims that he is a, uh, a Jewish, French-Canadian Jewish Iroquois 
Yeah, um, oh, that guy. That guy, a, yeah. Hell of a character, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he goes into, on January 6th, wearing war paint and, yeah. you know, feathers in his hair. And, and his great grievance is that the guy who has his boots on Nancy Pelosi's desk gets all the credit when it was George, just because it wasn't a photograph who pulled down his pants and rubbed his ass on Nancy Pelosi's desk. Yeah. He is getting credit in the legal system. But, uh. um, <laughs> but uh, um, you know, he identifies himself he says, I'm like the guy in 300, yeah. that Zack Snyder, yeah. you know, gore fest. Like the last one left alive to tell the tale. I'm like, but George, Ashley is the only one killed. You're all left alive. Yeah. And you all won't shut up. You're all telling the tale. It doesn't matter. But this is not George being stupid. It's not George being um, purely delusional. I mean, I, I come to think of it as a kind of lucid dreaming. Like, the pleasure is in the both and of it, the, the yeah. yes and of it. Like, I know that reality and this reality. Yeah. And they're coexisting. And just the way that I've been fascinated by, you know, I've been doing this stuff for a long time, but actually sort of what I do is I do one book on, one book off. It's yeah. just sort of work that way. Like, I cannot be with them anymore. I'm going to yeah. go do something very different. But I kept getting drawn back because I'm interested in people who believe in magic, right? Yeah. They are too, right? Or, or the way so many people I met think Elon Musk is going to save them. These are the right wingers. Yeah. Um, and if we can just win Elon Musk for Christ, think of what we can do. And then he can put souls in robots and you know, but, but, this you is know, a fantasy idea. But but whether they he can do that or not, the truth of the matter is, is that Elon Musk is is is, is trying to do that, <laughs> right? But he's also vulnerable ideologically and yeah. wants to be part of the yeah. big, the big thing. Oh, I think he's part of the left to right slide too. And there's this whole thing of people like, well, he was always like this, and he's South African, and nobody's born a fascist. He wasn't. I mean, he's always a schmuck, but he wasn't always like this. Yeah. I mean, we watched him since yeah. he took over. You know, sure. the artist formerly known as Twitter. We watched him in real time go from troll to. I think pretty arguably at least fascist fellow traveler right sure. now. He began as a troll and and moved and moved right. And and that kind of lucid dreaming that he's engaging in with sort of like you're in an unreality but you feel you have some control over yeah. it. That's that Gnosticism. If I if I study the typos and Trump's tweets and the numbers. Yes. Yes. There are codes here to be determined, and that's also liberating in this sort of weirdly small de-democratic sense, yeah. which is, you know, uh, your listeners went to college or, or so on. They have access to, everybody has access to libraries, less and less because libraries are closing down. Uh, I work at a college. I can go to the library and so on. These are folks like, oh, wait a minute. I can go to the archive now. You can't, by the way. Suppose you just want to go to the archive. No, oh, for ar what? All kinds of archives you have to. You want to go to the, the National Archives. Sure. You, you, you got to get a permit. You got to explain what you're doing. Da, 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 da. Now I just log online and I'm in the archive. We mock doing our own research, except that that comes out of a liberationist idea of, for a long time. Do your the own research. Right. Yeah, do your own research. Find out the history of the Klan in America. Do sure. your own research. Find out, you know, step by step until you get as you know, to conspiracy theories. Right. Well, then all this leads to what you were talking about earlier is that this in, in, all-inclusiveness to this new whiteness idea that can incorporate everyone, that it's a mythological concept, but nonetheless, you know, they're going to be done away with. They only serve to the building, right? 
I, we don't know the shape of the fascism yeah. that is possibly to come. It will not look what, what has come before. Um, uh, um, so I don't know yeah. the shape of it and, and, and how much room there would be within it for others, how much those people can be recast yeah. as white, as we have seen, certainly in some South American countries, which still sort of, uh, the, the fascist regimes always sort of elevate whiteness over indigeneity, but also incorporate all sorts of folks who otherwise wouldn't be white. And in the same way that, you know, I've reported from fascist regimes yeah. in, you know, uh, I remember reporting in Uganda and and um, they're still talking about Soros and everything. And this was their um, the so-called kill the gays bill, which they just passed, which was based on American stuff. Yeah. Um, it's a genocidal bill. And I'm talking to the guy who wrote it and he's talking about Soros and Soros. Yeah. And I'm like, well, but like, why are you so afraid of the Jews here in Uganda where there really aren't any? And he's like, what? Soros was Jewish? You know, he doesn't even know it, but that doesn't mean that that's not still an anti-Semitic myth. Yeah. In the same way that Trump in his first post-indictment, last indictment speech says at the end, I think, I'm, uh, if I get it right, he says, we're going to drive out the, glo- uh, um, the globalists, chase out the communists. Yeah. And this is Gospel of John, Gospel of Matthew, the money changers. Whoever wrote the speech, and it might have been Stephen Miller, a Jewish guy, yeah. doubled down on that anti-Semitic old lie yeah. right and you know this is this escalation but it's it's the way that now if you're an anti-semite you know it's like fan service you know what that means you know what a globalist is yeah if you're not an anti-semite even if you're a right-wing jew what why would that have anything to do with jews just because it has for you know a thousand years that's been the rhetoric that's been used yeah right um and the same thing with the rfk post right there was like this weird post and this, I don't know, could have been an accident. 14 and 88 are next to each other, which is white supremacist language for the 14 words of whiteness and 88, the idiot math of American fascism. Yeah. Eight, H, I mean, to even explain it is just degrading. It just means hail Hitler. Yeah. Um, it shows up. Now, maybe he didn't mean it, right? He let it ride. Yeah. You know, and it's a little bit, it's more than what we think of as dog whistling because what it's doing is people who hate the globalist, they hate the Jew, whether they know it's a Jew or not. Right. It's taken that kind of the potency of that anti-Semitic myth and universalized it. So what happens in the fascism to come and who's included and who's not, it's hard to know, right? Because they've kind of, that's a big, we should be frightened because that's a big weirdly evolutionary leap that's, yeah. that's the the velociraptors have learned how to open doors right so given all this and given your well you, you obviously wrote this book but you you know you so you had a heart attack yeah it was 44 uh, it was a young heart attack i wrote the last line of my previous book and i, I it was literally pushed myself away from the table i'm like i think that's it that's the yeah. last line and then uh, really and the book had begun two years before with my father's heart attack. So, uh, you know, I remember on the table, it was, I was on the table during Trump's second debate with Hillary Clinton. Yeah. And so I was actually plugged up to a machine where this is the one where he's roving around yeah, like a yeah. toxic orange cloud. So like I could a, actually see like my blood shark. pressure going. Yeah. The nurse who saved my life is a Trumper, like so many nurses. That's a whole other story. That, yeah. Trump nurse connection. Yeah. Um, and watching it and so on. But I remember just sort of thinking, God. I get through this. This book begins with a heart attack, ends with a heart attack. Wow. Yeah. What a gift. You don't get symmetry like that yeah. very often. 
But in terms of like, you know, your sensitivity and your own personal belief system or spiritual system or what gets you through the day, you know, obviously, you know where you stand around the possible future of this country. And, you know, you've had, you know, the experience of moving through uh, this country, you know, and documenting it. I mean, how do you sort of live your life day to day mentally Physically, and, and what do you do? What are your priorities? I mean, I'm a little bit uh, counterphobic. The the chapter in the book called The Great Acceleration, which acceleration is when the term began on the left, moved to the right. This idea like, let's speed it up. Yeah. Um, the Boogaloo Boys, we ever heard them, like, let's yeah. just bring this war on. Yeah. And I was in Wisconsin uh, with my child, um, who they're fine with this being public, uh, yeah. who was there for a... Uh, uh, a mental health program. Yeah. And um, and I was very heartbroken. I mean, yeah. you know, and I could only visit them on weekends. Yeah. And so I had a lot of time. And that was when Roe fell. And it's a little bit like the fall of Roe is like, for those of us who sort of study the right, Yeah, like January 6th, that could happen, that could happen. And then it happens and you're still shocked. Yeah. Roe, you're like, yeah, you know they're coming. Like they've been organizing for 50 years. That's not coming out of nowhere. Yeah. And you're still shocked. And the way... I had of dealing with it and my fear for my child and, and so on. Like the way that is peaceful is I would just go around and I'd look for fascist flags yeah. and I'd knock on doors. Not to reassure myself that we're all the same under the skin, but that's like the small agency I have, right? Yeah. This is, I had quit writing about fascism, but I'm like, okay, it's really here. Yeah. I know how to do this. I can go and talk to these people I know their history. I know their history better than they do. I can sort of interpret this language. Um, I know how to read stories, yeah. right? Like, you know, in the other life, I'm an English professor. Right? Yeah. I know how to read stories. And um, uh, so that, and this is not like an, is not recommended. Hey, everybody, like, how do you deal with this dread? Go talk to fascists. And yeah. Although people say, look, now you knock on the door, you'll be killed. It is dangerous. Usually you won't. I mean. Right. You know, in Marinette, Wisconsin, guy comes out with his gun and says, come on in. Yeah. And you say yes to that invitation because you're, you're already... white. I'm white. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. There's a guy uh, in the book called Nazi Ralph. Hmm. And uh, it's because he is a Nazi with a yeah. swastikas tattooed all over him. He, he lives in Vermont. Yeah. Um, flies. Your fa- neighbor. Yeah. Flies fascist flags yeah. um, on a birch pole. Yard is littered with um, ammunition, you know, casing, yeah, shell casings, yeah. and so on. Has a shooting range out back that some local cops sh- apparently shoot at. Yeah. Uh, if listeners have ever been to Killington skiing, a lot yeah. of people go to Killington. You have seen Nazi Ralph's house. It's next to the chairlift that comes down to Route Four. If you've gone to Killington, um, and and through very, I'm not even going to get into it, but through very, because he'll, you may have even transacted with him in sure. some way, right? Yeah. And. I knock on his door, nobody there. Next day I call and 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 uh, he had clocked me on his security cameras and he and we're sitting yeah. in my car because it was raining and he's got his gun, his Glock in his lap. Yeah. Um and he says, What are you? Yeah. And you know, I know what he means. Yeah. I'm not gonna say, oh, I'm a journalist. Yeah. Uh but I'm also not I'm a Jew, but I did I'm like, I said I'm a half Jew. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> which is my father is Jew. I'm a Jew, but you yeah, know, yeah. And in his mind, it's like, I'll talk to you because you're half white. Um, and, you know, that is also sort of the moment where 
yeah, the white privilege that allows me to do this reporting, yeah. I think I'm going to use it and so on, it is less of a screen than it used to be. I mean, at the Ashley Babbitt rally in Sacramento, Proud Boys just also clocked me for what I was immediately. There was It was not a puzzle. And I'm like, what? It, you know, what is it? Is it my pants? Is it my, you know... Uh, they clocked you as a Jew or a journalist? Not as a Jew, just... Yeah, not them. Right, not them. Yeah, so... So what you're saying to in the answer to my question is the way you live your life is by engaging and understanding and knowing the reality of it and also, you know, having a tremendous amount of concern for your children and yourself because of, of your heart. But, you know, you're teaching and you're, you're engaging with young people. I mean, you know, how, how do you keep the informed dread you know, at, at not at bay, but at a level to where you, you're not freaking everybody out other than this book. So I, <laughs> I, th- I really, uh, um, the different, I think there's a difference between grief and mourning, right? Grief is, I've, you know, I'm pulling out my hair. I've lost a loved one. Yes. We're losing a kind of safety we had in this country. Yeah. We're losing the weather and rain. Mourning, mourning is the long process, right? Where, you know, um, and there's a lot of mourning in this book because, you know, uh, go to my father. I didn't make it to my father's grave. My stepmother dies. You got the own, ashes the whole way through. The ashes, my own child and their suffering and yeah. COVID and all that we've yeah. been through. And um, uh, mourning is a sort of the recogni- recognition that something is lost. It, acknowledging okay. that it's lost. Yep. Um, but also acknowledging that you still exist. Right. Yeah. How, when you're tearing out your hair in grief, how will I go on? Right. You can't believe you'll be able to live. And why, why, why? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mourning is the process. So, so all this stuff, and it can be knocking on doors in this counterphobic way. It can be, you know, doing the hippie things we all do to be sane, like walking in the woods like yeah. in Vermont. Right. Um, but that's mourning. And that's the kind of, I, I, I think mourning is a hopeful act. It's. And we don't want to, we want to like have triumph of the spirit. Well, that's a little close to triumph of the will, right? Yeah. Um, what if we say, what if we mourned? Mm. And, and even all these white supremacists and so yeah. on, they are losing some white power. They should lose it. They want to lose it, right? Part of the mourning would be them realizing, hey, like that entitlement that I am losing, yeah. that freedom I had to turn on my TV and never see anybody who didn't look like me, and that's not the case anymore, that's good that you lost it. You get there by mourning. But they sit there and say, I used to watch TV and it was just good white folks. And now what happened? Why That must mean there's fewer chances for me. And they sit there in that frozen, static place instead of saying, you know, this this is also like my hope. I I think it's a hopeful book. No, not too many people do, but I do think it's a hopeful book. Like, uh, I think Harry Belafonte in, 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 in a poetic way, yes. I, I and I could see that in the way you opened and closed the book, and in in and in also the the empathy you approach these people with. But I mean, there's no you know, there there's no like last chapter that says why we should be hopeful. <laughs> <laughs> so I I can hear you saying it's a hopeful book, but that's your framing after you put. I this can't all evangelize together. some. I, I mean, I no, think I also that. because not, I work I'm, with with young people too, especially like. Yeah, I'm not saying you should. Like some of the hope in the book is those kids in Black River Falls, Wisconsin. Yeah, that's yeah. a tiny town, right? And but um, I, when I read that though, I th- well, so yeah, some people don't think they're hopeful. Like no, 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 no. I, it's not that I didn't think it was hopeful. I was scared for them. Yeah, yeah, we should be scared, and they won't all make it, right? 
um, Black River Falls, Wisconsin. Uh, I'm going on, there's a famous book called Wisconsin Death Trip by yeah. Michael Lessie, who's my mentor. And a death trip is actually a memento more. It's a kind of mourning. It's not, let's get all dark. It's sort of like, wait a minute. Well, explain the book. He was uh, 19, early 1970s, another time of great political violence. He was in Madison, Wisconsin, a graduate student in history. Yeah. This is when uh, a building at Madison, Wisconsin gets bombed by uh, leftists. There's another group of leftists who have gotten a crop duster and are flying around dropping bombs. Yeah. The world is falling apart. Michael is a young radical, but he's in the archive every day in 1890s, this small town of Black River Falls. And this the town photographer, not an artist, just the town photographer, yeah. who took pictures of what you took. You know, people standing, a strong man, and a lot, a lot of pictures of dead babies. That was something they did at the beginning of photography. Yeah. yeah. You know. Your baby died, and yeah. they died a lot then. You put it in a beautiful dress, and you propped it up in the coffin, and you took a photograph. They were good sitters for photographs because <laughs> uh, you, know, you had to leave that aperture open Stay for a while. Still. They weren't... Stay still, yeah. right. And, um, but then he starts reading the local newspaper, which still exists. And at this time... American history is still holding on to that make America great again. Oh, that was the pastoral time, the small town. Yeah. He's like, wait a minute, this newspaper, arson, suicide, murder, murder, suicide, arson, sent to the madhouse, you know, and it feels the 1890s to him feel like the early 1970s. Things fall apart. The struggle is long. I mean, not to say it's going to be okay because we've been through it before, but we've been there. So I'm traveling around Wisconsin, and I go to this town where that all takes place, yeah. Black River Falls. This is not yeah. Milwaukee. This is not Madison. This is not hipster Wisconsin. It's a little town. Church is at the end of the street, looms yeah. over everything. Day after row, and there's this young woman on the bridge over the Black River, and she's holding a sign, and it says, your misogyny is showing. And she's just by herself. Teenager. Yeah. And people are honking. Yeah. And, and screaming, and this local fundamentalist preacher with whose daughter she had grown up figure skating. Yeah. He's this big guy looming over yeah. her, telling her she's a whore and everything. And yeah. she's just like, she's four foot something, you know, tiny person, you know, fuck off. And she's joined by this group of other young women and queer folks. And it is worth noting in the sort of the context of misogyny, there are no straight white boys showing up. Yeah to stand with them yeah this is brave as hell so i go out with them and then one of their moms come they're teenagers and, and young college students real straight laced kids student body president you yeah. know that kind of stuff and we go to a perkins like a denny's sure. you know this is what you do in a small town yeah eating pancakes at 11 at night and they're feeling like they've had a great victory and they're yeah. the mom's there and then so on so on. i don't even want to say what I, you know like well you know some people think there's going to be a civil war right. i think they're going to be horrified yeah and like uh-huh yeah and they're ready, and they're small town, rural Wisconsin. Yeah. Every one of them knows how to shoot, is armed, except for their leader, who is an archer. Yeah. And, and in their mind, she's like Katniss from the Hunger Games, yeah. right? Yeah. And they're like, bring it on. Now, my hope here, that's not hopeful because they'll get slaughtered, you know? Mm. One of them's going into the military to be prepared, right? Right. Um, if, but I don't think it'll come to that. My hope is... There's a cheerleader named Peyton, cheerleader for the Black River Falls Tigers. And her sign doesn't say, you know, Roe or Misogyny yeah. Sean. Her sign just says, fuck off. Yeah. Bright red letters. And she's this yeah. smiling cheerleader, fuck off. And I'm like, what does it mean, Peyton? And it says, fuck off to you, Mark, to me, to all of us who are older and failed them, right? Yeah. And did not protect their rights. They are not waiting for anything. 
they're not seeking the conflict. Yeah. They know that there is a conflict. They are not saying, how come I wasn't protected? Yeah. They recognize that they weren't. Yeah. And that's hopeful. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a dark hope, right? Yeah. But uh, these kids are not lambs being led to the slaughter. Yeah, you don't believe in the young voter idea. I don't believe in the young voter idea, but I do believe in the young organizer idea, actually. Um, the energy to go and organize, to build, you know, whatever it is. Um, there's a chapter in there about Occupy Wall Street, which is like yep. ancient history now, right? But this is a moment, like, people forget, like, just barely, a little more than a decade ago, like, the big movement was, hey, maybe Obama's going to be left in the dust as too conservative, right? Yeah. And it was this moment of political imagination. It drove everybody nuts because they had no demands. But they've got, you know, the free kitchen and, and Zuccotti Park. And, yeah, and sure. Yeah. And I love the free library. Not yeah. like those little free libraries, but like 3,000 books. Um, a library. I love libraries. Yeah. And, um, you know, it got crushed. Cops came in, you know. Quick. Yeah, in the end, like this whole idea, like you hear anarchists sometimes say, like, "Well, we we face the cops in yeah, Portland." Yeah. Like, no, they were just figuring out how to stop it and politically make it look like it was the right timing. I think that is that is like for for some young leftists, like the police force of Peoria, if it ever really decides to crack down, yeah, that's that's that. Sure, you know, any, almost any. This is what force. Kent State teaches us, right? Sure. If someone opens fire, doesn't matter, right? Um, so don't get to that point. You go and you organize. And these kids, yeah, they were all armed, but they were more interested in organizing. They were more interested in questions like, how do I organize? Right. Probably not the traditional ways. Right. Right. Yeah, sure, I'll vote. Maybe they're the cop city kids in, in, in Atlanta. You know, yeah. You know, and maybe they're, and, and maybe they're saying extreme things too. And I feel like there's this thing where, because I teach on a college campus, you see these right-wingers who go and they're basically like, they're like Minecrafters, like they're mining colleges for ridiculous statements. Sure. Because bl- it's going to blow your mind. 18-year-olds sometimes say stupid shit. You, you wouldn't think, right? Yeah. Of course they do. And because they're trying to invent in politics, like, a lot of times these young folks, they'll reject some lefty that I think is great. Yeah. So what? You know? Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, let them figure it out. Let yeah, them, sure. They're going to they're gonna find out something that you and I don't know. Yeah. So that, that's, that's... So there's yeah. hope there. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Well, it was good seeing you again, Jeff. Thanks, Mark. <laughs> we got to the hope in the end. No cheap grace, but the hope. <laughs> but I like how you, when you say hope, you kind of, you, you suck in when you say it. It's not a hope. It's a hope. <laughs> yeah. For a while, it's possible not to be scared even. Right. And then you'll be scared again. But for a while, that moment, hold on to those beautiful moments. All right. Man. I'll, I'll try. <laughs> Okay, so there you go. Temper your hope. Know that you know. The book is called The Undertow Scenes from a Slow Civil War. It's available wherever you get books. Hang out for a second, will you? Hey, people, if you're a full Marin subscriber, we've got another round of producer cuts posted this week. These are clips that were cut out of the WTF episodes, and the only way you can hear them is on the full Marin. Out of nowhere, I get this text from John Mulaney. You know, just to hang with a, a few comics. He told me it's like Kroll, Nick Kroll, Joe Mandy, uh, American Dan Levy, Jezelnik. Spade was going to drop by. You know, it was just a, a group of, of comics. 
And and I was like, yeah, that that sounds good. Just at an Italian place. I'm like, that sounds great. You know, he's he's like, yeah, we'll just hang out. Sometimes I I have to really appreciate the community I come from and the legacy that we are part of, which is stand up comedy and and knowing uh, uh, comics my whole life and and having this 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 group of people that I don't necessarily know that well, but we know each other to be who we are and what we are, which is comics. So we're sitting around and it turned into exactly what you think would happen. What's supposed to happen is it just turned into this storytelling session, you know, over Italian food, a lot of laughs. And, and I, I get into a very fuck it. I give, I don't give a shit. I'll throw uh, people under the bus. I'll tell you how I really feel. I'll do these stories, which is a good lubricant for, for other guys who might be a little more diplomatic than me. It kind of opens up the floodgate. To sign up for the full mare and go to the link in the episode description or head over to WTFpod.com and click on WTF Plus in the menu, right? Next week, we have Chef Michael Simon on Monday and songwriter Bernie Taupin on Thursday. That was, how do they say it in Britain? That was a banger. Me talking to Bernie Taupin. I was nervous about it, but we got right into it. He's, a, he's, a, he's an all right dude, level-headed dude. And uh, the book is pretty great. Pre-order it. Bernie Taupin, Scattershot. It's not just about Elton John. It's not just about being his co-writer, but he covers a lot of the people of the era. Harry Nelson, John Lennon. Talks about meeting Graham Greene, talks a little bit about drugs, a little bit about Elton, Alice Cooper. I mean, it's just, you know, it's it's a, a, a very well-written reminiscence. So pre-order that. I'll talk to him next week. And here's a, this is, I think this is sort of a riff on a Brian Eno, maybe partially inspired by taking Tiger Mountain. But I did it up with the slide. Uh, anyway. Okay. I'll talk to you later.
Boomer lives. Monkey and the Fonda cat angels everywhere. <laughs>